Welcome to episode number three of the Awesome Alga podcast. And today we have a special guest. His name is Jeff Stein. He is rather new to the engineering field, but he is the creator of an open source tooling called Algo Tables, which essentially allows people to use it as an analytics tool for various activities and data sources within the Algorand ecosystem. And with that, the stage is yours. Jeff, let's start with the common structure we have been following the previous episode so far and a little bit about the biography. And if you could tell us a little bit about your journey to the engineering domain, that sure. would be awesome. So where I started out really was kind of playing around with all the different things available that you can make using computers. Well, I was in grad school, which was kind of weird because it was grad school in the liberal arts. I was studying three different disciplines and it, I just kept going with that. And eventually I became an instructor in the liberal arts for a while. And, but on the side, you know, I, I had kind of engineer friends and yeah, I just started doing more and more with computers. And eventually I, I was kind of curious what else was available. So I ended up working for, for Walmart for a while as a instructor to supervisors and management and on the side you know just kept my studies and and ultimately my employer offered to just pay for all my books and fees and tuition and everything and so I just jumped into it and uh, yeah pursued a computer science degree and just kept pushing with that learning everything and then that ultimately led me to algo tables which is you know my final project for my degree and I'm, I'm gonna be done here in a week with that and it's just, I'm just so happy and grateful for the whole thing, really. That's that's awesome to hear. I, I, I hope you, and I, I'm sure, I'm not saying hope, I'm sure you won't regret using computer science. It's a, it's a vast domain and there is a little something of special for, for everyone, essentially, as long as you have a little passion for solving issues and problems. Before we dive into algo tables, though, um, was just curious about, as you're still starting with the engineering, was curious to hear a little about, about your first programming language and essentially if you could talk a bit about that and what kind of technology stack you chose to basically start your journey. Sure. So I initially started working with emulators of all things and I used C Sharp, which I, you might be happy to hear working at Microsoft. But yeah, I used a lot of C Sharp that was my first one and was working with emulators for all kinds of different things and and just i was always amazed at how much stuff you can do in these emulators and you know make whatever people wanted and i think that was kind of a thing too that kind of pushed me ultimately towards where i am because i just interacted with all these different people of who had all these different ideas of things you could try and it was just always fun and interesting and uh, yeah, you know, also I think as well with, with the tech is just like, that, that's what's so interesting to me about blockchain technology. And that's what pushed me towards Algorand is just, that's always the latest, the newest thing. I mean, we're it's amazing how high tech it is. We're all just waiting for them to create these things that don't exist yet, you know, so that we can do things that don't exist yet. I mean, that's just how it goes. It's amazing. So yeah, kind of appealing anyway. 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and maybe just to follow up on emulators part, when, when you say emulators, is it referring to, for some reason, the first thing that came to mind was simulation of, you know, the retro video game machines. Was that something yep, that you meant? That's, that's right. I see, I see. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, there's there's a lot of nice uh, frameworks that allow you to do so in the .NET ecosystem. All right, so one thing that is also interesting to note about algo tables is the fact that is also one of the bachelor's uh, topics for the bachelor's thesis that you're working on and there is not you know often there's no constraints on making the code open source and public when working on things like that but what was the decision making to essentially release it out there and make it free for everyone uh, well you know as part of my my research project one thing about it is that it technically has to be, you know, not for profit. So there's that. <laughs> and then, but, but mainly it was, I, I wanted feedback. I wanted, I wanted engineers such as yourself to look at it and tell me how to think about it, how to grow it, kind of other stuff that's available. I really wanted to get it out there and get my code criticized so I could become better. Yeah, this this is certainly a, a valid reason to do so, and especially in the blockchain space with very fast-paced environment, I think the amount of feedback that could be obtained with the right incentive or intent is, is immeasurable. And with that, I think it would be nice to jump and start some introductory topics on the algo tables itself. And perhaps we could start with the part that touches the architecture. So if there is any specific terminology or definitions that you, you think worth mentioning for the listeners out there before we actually dive into them, feel free to do so. But otherwise, if we could just start by rehashing on the you know motivation behind algo tables and how the original idea was born. Sure. So I've been participating in the Algorand ecosystem for maybe about a year and a half now. And I've tried all sorts of different things and explored different things. But I think that one of the things that I really struggled with and a lot of other people I've interacted with or struggled with is there's it's just kind of hard to get really fast, really easy to digest information about all these different things that are going on in the ecosystem. There's a lot. It's spread everywhere. And I thought I could, you know, I could probably make something like that. And so I started looking at what other ecosystems had available. Cardano Cube was one of them that I thought was a big inspiration. And yeah, I just, I thought, well, we don't, we have some interesting things that folks have made, but I think I could take it even further and really start comparing things, you know, the number of transactions every single day and, you know, what their what these different projects, what their roadmaps are and what who their teams are and so on. And, and I thought that was if that information was relevant to me, oops, was relevant to me and it seemed really reasonable that it would be relevant to everybody else. And so I started talking to everyone on Reddit and Twitter and anywhere else I could Discord. And the feedback was, yes, that's a great idea. You should do that. Here's here's my other ideas you should add to what you're doing. And it just kind of went, went from there, really. And uh, I see. And, and when you mention 
the list of like when we speak about the I mentioned the data sources and the fact that it's more of a analytics platform that aggregates different data. If we were to start with the architecture of the system, what are the main input data sources that your platform sort of aggregates? Because I know that there is not just uh, there's some information on the ASA tokens, there is info on the ecosystem. So if you could just touch base on kind of the you know the overview of the main functionality. Uh, sure. So Aquatables keeps track of tons of different things from ecosystem teams. You can go and and find all the individual team members' information for each project. It keeps track of all the blogs going on, and you can see which blogs are the latest blogs and who's posting, again, all in the ecosystem. Jobs that are available, farms and pools for these tokens and their you know, participation in automated market makers, bounties and Algorand that are available, the prices of different assets and algo, what whales are how much currently they're hodling in algo algorand news algorand developer posts algorand scholarly publications an event calendar of everything that's going on in the ecosystem comparison of the different traffic amounts to each domain that all of these different assets and projects are on so i mean just anything you could possibly get to really try to compare all these different teams and what they're doing and how it's all going and whether or not I guess really you should invest in that it's really you know everyone says DYOR DYOR well you know I think algo tables probably helps with that awesome yeah that, that's an impressive list of different kinds of resources that really but potentially could really provide a, a very detailed overview into the things going on in the ecosystem Talking on the side of the architecture, though, are there any, if, if you were to, you know, on a very higher level note, describe the overall architecture of the system and sort of the main components that comprise it, how, how would you, how would you go over sure. that? Okay. So Agotables, you know, first and foremost, I wanted to really make it not something that would go down because there's been really great projects that people have made for the Algorand ecosystem, but Unfortunately, they just didn't get quite enough money to pay for the APIs and the server hosting and all that stuff, and then their applications go down, and then they're just gone from the ecosystem, you know? And I, I really wanted to make it something that would last, would stand the test of time. So I, I, one thing I did, for example, is I have everything on GitHub. I have, you know, the, all the, the whole repository on GitHub. I have the whole hosting on GitHub, GitHub Pages, which is a really good solution. You know, I mean, a lot of people don't talk about it, but it's infinitely scalable as far as I know. And, you know, you get access to GitHub's security and everything. So, and plus you get the GitHub domain, which is a very reputable domain. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty good for a, an open source project. That's a good option. More people should use it, in my opinion. But yeah, GitHub has been great for, ever, for all that. And then kind of more on the back end, I have kind of an interesting solution, which is sort of, you know, new old technology is how I like to think of it, where basically I have, you know, something similar to a cron job. It's just continually running in the background, querying all these different APIs and wherever I can get this information. 
and then it takes that information and stores it in a Google Sheet. In other words, Google's version of Excel. Uh, it stores it in spreadsheets, and then it uploads those spreadsheets routinely to GitHub. There is there is one downside to that whole thing, though, and it's that it, GitHub Pages takes roughly 10 minutes to update from where the GitHub repository receives the information. So, you know, it's free, but that's the cost, is that it's, I, I can't really get people, at least directly from GitHub, you know, the latest information using GitHub Pages. I don't know. I was thinking about it a lot last night. I think I could probably do something where it accesses the spreadsheets themselves from Google somehow, and maybe that would make it faster, and then I wouldn't have to wait the 10 minutes. I don't know. I'm playing around with the different solutions available, but yeah, that's that's the only downside about AlgoTables is it does have about a 10-minute delay between when the information has has been officially put to an API or wherever you could possibly get it. So yeah, but otherwise, it's it's about you know about within a 10 minute window it has it has accuracy of everything that's going on everything you see on there continually updated as as much as you possibly could really i see i see so the main thing to recap from this is i suppose the ability for the project to withstand time and to have it i suppose as as, as a very rather straightforward extract transform load pipeline that does not require a lot of hosting fees and etc to, to, to basically have the system that can potentially live long enough and continue improving and perhaps uh, you know attract some people for in the open source space to contribute and to see it develop on the same note, there's a few things and I could mention on this part because this is exactly one of the challenges that I've been recently solving with one of my open source projects called Algo World Swapper that was initially part of a bigger platform that allowed for exploring different Algo World cards and etc. And the goal there was to how do I make it trim down on the hosting costs, how do I make it fully open source and how to basically have it a bit more closely aligned with web3 space where people usually deal with d apps rather than you know classic architectures like client server architectures and uh, there's a few things i could actually recommend in that regard that you might find quite interesting are you are you familiar with ipfs file system i am so this is maybe in the space of the non-fungible tokens people very often use it to store um, public files. And when I say public, it, it assumes that they don't essentially encode any passwords or secrets. It's kind of like a very large distributed file system or blob storage, and you can upload textual files, images, and etc. And the way Swapper actually works, and you could actually see the, the higher level architectural diagram available there at docs.algoworld.io. The IPFS usually serves for Swapper to store JSON files. So I encode the configuration about every single Swapper and the storage aspect is completely resolved by just relying on IPFS, which in some of the providers you could find providers like, for example, web3.storage, um, and they give you 
something around one terabyte of, of data that is more than enough to, you know, handle large chunks of the I'm not sure about like real time aspects of it. Of course, it, it's not something that you could stream in real time. But uh, as as a free Web3 blob storage alternative for rather for textual files, and I'm sure there are ways to split it. There's um, also this notion of car files that can potentially allow you to have a part of the URL because Usually when you upload to IPFS, file changes every time the content of the file changes. But there is ways to fix it such that you will have a prefix named after a folder or something, and then you can have specific files that are unique, but then there is a part of the URL that can be accessed to you. So in, in regard of the storage, if you'll ever consider you know, alternatives to CSV files or relying on Google APIs, perhaps looking into blob storages on IPFS could be a good option. And could actually be a lot more simpler. Mm -hmm. One additional thing that I think might be quite interesting is, and once again, I am personally not super biased towards um, web technologies and specifically JavaScript and TypeScript, but uh, you know that's the technology that rules the web. You 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 have to learn this specific stack too, and of course it's a very dynamic environment. So many frameworks and alternatives, but one particular peculiar thing that I found very useful for for the swapper is this rather high level framework that's built on top of a lot of different modern practices in the web, such as server side rendering, component based architectures called Next.js. So it's a language and a framework owned by the company that also provides a service called Vercel. The thing with that is that they have a free hosting plan and they have a program for open source protocols for open source projects. So you could potentially, if you justify and you fill into their criteria, you can actually get a pro plan for free with, you know, a downside, but not really a downside. I guess it's a reasonable requirement from that them. You, you would need to put a little logo on your readme. And the thing with Vercel is it's, it's basically a serverless hosting provider that can host your website, just like GitHub pages does. It can basically host a set of background runners as well. So not a cron job that you could essentially run for an indefinite amount of time, but rather small functions that can execute for a limited amount of time. But I, I suppose you could see some benefits in there. Cron jobs could still be somewhere, placed somewhere else, and Vercel could be used to host both the website and have a very primitive API to essentially load some file or perhaps store some file and etc. And so, yeah, this is in regards to if you are going to reach a point in development where you would feel like, you know, GitHub pages is, is, is great, especially for static content, documentation, markdowns. But if you are going to consider still free, but rather a bit more advanced alternatives. So Vercel could be a great option. And of course, this is just my opinion based on looking into the into your description of the architecture right now. And just one last thing that I wanted to mention. There's another great use of GitHub that you could actually uh, that you could actually utilize in regards to cron job. So I'm not sure where you run the backend and where you run the workers to fetch the data, but one of the 
Other ways, depending on the load that is required to process those data sources is, are you familiar with GitHub Actions? Mm-hmm. So in Get- GitHub Actions, there are different ways you could trigger a job, right? You could run a job that will be executed when you open a pull request, when you push to the branch. But then another interesting trigger is a cron trigger. So you could actually have a cron trigger at GitHub Action that will run your mm-hmm. worker that can execute different languages, mm-hmm. essentially. So if you use Python, for example, you could have a set of GitHub action pipelines and just set cron jobs on them. And GitHub will run them on a scheduled basis. And this is where you could actually aggregate them. Of course, once again, you could find people in, in, in the space who are more on the ideological side of Web3, which is often about not relying on any Mm. large enterprises, which in this case is GitHub owned by Microsoft. You know, at the end, at the end of the day, I think this is more applicable for pure D apps and things that manage large scale financial resources or some very interesting applications of smart contracts. But for a platform like Algo tables, I think this is more than a reasonable approach if you still want to commit towards having it free and mm-hmm. an open source. And sorry for uh, for a big no, deal. No, that was there, great. But, uh, I will I, absolutely I just... try everything you just talked about and check it all out 100%. I will. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, and most of those things I described are basically something that I used as this, as a stack to, to fit that exact same goal for the swapper and the repo is open source. You could find a lot of useful examples there okay. if needed. All right, so one thing to continue with the discussion on the algo tables, and of course, we've mentioned the architecture, we mentioned the way you're essentially aggregating this large amount of different things in regards to the ecosystem, but what about specifics of the dev stack? Could you just briefly mention the languages that you're currently relying on in regards to the backend sure. and frontend? I use a lot of JavaScript. There is some Python. There's just a ton of libraries that I'm using from so many different places. And that is one thing, too, that's that's been amazing is that I can't recommend this one library enough. It's the, I think it's called datatables.net or something like that. But yeah it's if you're trying to make uh, you know basically an html spreadsheet that just does whatever you want wow it's incredible they've been around for 10 to 15 years and everybody under the sun has tried every different way you could make a table look and change and do different things with it it's great so yeah and it's open source too so you know there's that too but yeah mostly javascript though to answer your question and a little bit of python is kind of the deal there. I see. And for the listeners out there, just to outline this framework in regards to visualizing tables that was just mentioned, it could be found under datatables.net mm-hmm. website, and you could see the nice uh, getting started guide there. But once again, we know that Web3 is very saturated market and there is a lot of tools that can fit your specific framework better. But if you're looking for something that I guess aligns closer to statically hosted websites, that could be a good option for you. All right. So we mentioned a lot of technologies in this particular case, but speaking 
specifically about Algorand and the things that Algorand provides. And there has been a set of episodes that we've did so far going really in, to a great extent covering the capabilities in layer one. Are there any features or any specific capabilities that AlgoTables interacts with in regards to Algorand's functionality? Mm. Other than just monitoring whatever is going on on the blockchain, not really. I don't, I don't have any super advanced features like that quite yet. But, you know, I have some ideas knocking around of some cool stuff I could do, but I don't know, I don't, sorry, I don't really want to talk about them until I actually kind of form them together better. But right now, you know, it's still pretty traditional, to be honest with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't have the ability to connect your wallet and do trades and cool stuff like that. But, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe someday, maybe. But I suppose you do rely on some of the... Um... API endpoints for the indexer when obtaining the information. Sure, that's true. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that could be one of the ways to interact with it. All right, what would you say were the most challenging aspects of developing the tool so far? Hmm. Well, I suppose just really trying to figure out exactly how it would all work. You know, when I when I first started doing it. I had so many different ideas of what it would eventually be. It was completely different than what Alcotables is now. You know, for example, one thing I I originally thought I was going to be was this big lengthy checklist for people where they could like kind of have whatever asset they wanted and then compare it against this very community and Algorand Foundation and anyone else we could get to weigh in on the checklist kind of resource. So it was more simplistic but then I thought well that's kind of you know me being really subjective and telling you know the end user to a large extent what they should think and then I'll miss stuff and I don't know so the only option then is to just make it so that the person has as much information as they possibly can and so I started looking at other resources on other chains and you know there was all kinds of cool solutions you know one of them was uh you know entirely like in a console you know like in your command line and and you're typing in you know this asset that's asset, that asset but i don't know that that seemed kind of hard for i think a lot of participants in the ecosystem you know who are just kind of barely able to access like get in here it's that complicated for them to even you know make exchanges on a wallet and stuff and then expecting them to use a command line interface seemed kind of you know too much it was cool but you know so I decided to kind of go with something more simple. I've always wanted to do a big open source project and I just like open source and, uh, you know, kind of from my emulator days, I just benefited from so much open source stuff that, uh, yeah, I wanted to contribute to that. And, and uh, yeah, I just kind of kept building and getting feedback from everybody. And Algorand's really lucky. We have a lot of really smart but very outspoken folks available on social media and they will be very vocal with their opinions so it's it's nice and it was pretty easy to get really good feedback really fast from a lot of people and AlgoTables made that as easy as possible because everybody's contact information you know so I just I just slide into those DMs and you know say hey here's what I'm doing if you know if it looks interesting let me know what you think and I just kind of kept going using that and I I will keep going using that it's a good strategy so yeah I see I see 
yeah, I, I, I can't uh, stress stress enough the the fact how surprisingly friendly the ecosystem was. And for me myself, when I just started, you know, doing this as a hobby, it's uh, it's just refreshing to see a lot of people building and competing within the same space, but still trying to, you know, be open-minded, trying to help each other, I guess, operating under the Web3 umbrella is, is, is a bigger thing that unifies people in, in the space. I unfortunately don't have a lot of exposure to other chains, and there has been a lot of food for thought recently that hopefully, if time allows, I'll, I'll be exploring. But yeah, as, as far as Algorand ecosystem goes, I'd say... If any engineers out there are a bit worried about, you know, whether they're going to be judged, if they'll build something that, no, absolutely not. I think it's a very open-minded space and everyone's very welcome to help each other. And maybe just a a few, you know, if you could just briefly mention that part as well. I I understand that the tool is still actively under development and uh, in the coming weeks uh, you will be releasing and uh, providing more and more information with documentation etc but uh, in the current state are there any specific testing methodologies that you are already trying to apply or it's more on the side of prioritizing building the you know the mvp itself and then once you find and flesh out the actual sort of goal of the project uh, you will start adding and building on top Uh, yeah kind of kind of the latter really I, I, you know, one of the things I've, I did, I, I kind of discovered anyway, during my, my, my classes in computer science is that one really good strategy, at least according to all the professors I asked, was to just rapidly prototype stuff based on, you know, some feedback or some thoughts you have, and then just get it out there and see what people think. And so that's kind of what I've been doing. I just... I just keep going, I, I rapidly prototype something, and then I get feedback, and then I try to make it better and better and better, and, and it does seem to be a pretty good strategy overall, and yeah, you know, I, I think I would probably recommend that, I guess, it's, I, but I don't know, I would like to try other stuff too, just to kind of see how that is, but that has been my strategy so far, and it does seem to be going pretty well, so, yeah. I see. Yeah, I mean... If we take the domain in this particular case being open source projects and especially projects that are trying to uh, aggregate feedback and, and in real time and basically try to address it to, 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 to prepare and create this original MVP, I think rapid prototyping and failing fast is, 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 is a great approach. I would argue though on the enterprise side because often in the enterprise world you have uh, the requirements already defined for you, and it's 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 more focusing on satisfying those requirements with just very high quality and high coverage in that sense. But uh, yeah, this, this sounds sounds great. Maybe if we were to speak about roadmap, so I mentioned that there will be some documentation following, but uh, if we are to look on a bit longer time span, what what are your ideas and plans on? future development of the right tool. so you know as we discussed a, a bit previously definitely one thing would be real-time updating of all the information i think that would be really really helpful and then in addition to that some of the other chains have these really powerful you know quantitative trading resources and tools that algorand at least to my knowledge publicly doesn't really have there there's not those kind of tools for the general public i mean i'm sure 
you know, some very knowledgeable team has those tools, but the general public doesn't. And there's certainly, certainly not an open source kind of option for that. So I would like to take a lot of those tools that exist on other chains that we just don't have yet for Algorand and incorporate them into Algotables, give it the real time speed and make it open source. Basically, that would be the long term roadmap, I suppose. Awesome. Yeah, a, a lot of people often, you know, coming from other chains could criticize Algorand for lack of, you know, certain certain amount of adoption, but it's important to understand the age of this project and it's still and it's still I I think it's safe to say that, you know, there's there's still a certain time that needs to be passed until a lot of alternatives that are currently available and chains like Ethereum, for example, are also going to be fleshed out and publicly available. So the thing that gives a lot of confidence in this case is the core consensus mechanism itself and the operation of the chain and the amazing stack that they have. Um, so in, the, in that regard, I think it's great that there is developers out there who are also looking into and, and sort of trying to learn from the best practices from other chains and to slowly move the adoption to, to the Algorand space as well. Let's say there would be a set of engineers and developers who, you know, are learning about the Algorand space and they would find the Algo tables idea promising and they would like to contribute. What would be the best way for, you know, enthusiasts from the space to come in and try to help? That's a great question. Well, they could, I have a, a big button on top that says contact, so they could definitely click on that and contact me. Alternatively, you know, the GitHub repository is up for everybody and, it, you know, you can you know, make a fork of it or do whatever you like with it. Make your own version of Algo Tables. That's why I made it. It's for you. Do whatever you want with it. And yeah, I, I'm super eager to collaborate with anybody. So, you know, if you're interested, you know, yeah, hop in. I, I would love to work with you, basically. And, and maybe just a, a few additional suggestions that you can take into the consideration. There is a special page, actually, when you create a new GitHub repository. And to make it fully open source, there's a few optional things that you can apply, such as a contribution markdown file that describes in details rules on how to behave basically in the space. If you want to contribute to repo, you could utilize GitHub issues to basically point out some of the things that you might need help with and things like that. And usually even basic things like that could basically boost the speed for people to just learn about the project. But, and as you mentioned, you are going to be following up with the documentation and I'm sure this will be a great resource as well for people to learn if they want to contribute to all the tables. And this is, I'm hoping to make it as, as, a, as a tradition for all the episodes to come in the future, but usually, and this was something I asked to Cosimo and Zef in the previous episode, but I usually like to finalize the episode by a little discussion on the advices that a guest could give. So if, you know, if, if you could give a little advice for 
software engineers who you know want to try their hands on blockchain development and in your case given your recent sort of exposure to the engineering and you're still on the i'd say you're on the right track you're still learning a lot but i'm sure there's a lot of people who are also just starting on engineering what would be your set of you know advisors in sure. general so i'm uh, you know obviously a, a non-traditional student in that regard and i just wanted to say that i think it's totally okay you know i i haven't felt any weird stuff about being kind of older than maybe some of the more you know entry level folks in in this whole space everybody's been really nice and friendly and welcoming and they don't really care about that at all they just care you know are you willing to listen and you're willing to work hard and learn new stuff and just keep trying it and, and going and so that was something that maybe some folks you know might think that oh no or, or, oh, I did it a while ago, and then it's been quite a while since I tried doing, you know, hard math. And so, you know, I tried it in high school, I couldn't do it, and now I'm 35, and I want to maybe try it again. It's different. It's not the same thing as you doing it when you're a kid, you know, and, and doing it later. So I think maybe that might be something that they that is advice that at least some people in the audience might want to hear, might, you know, not, not really think. And, and that also... It's okay if it takes kind of a longer time as well for you to learn these things and, and do your schooling and you take a break from classes and come back. It's totally fine, you know. So, yeah, maybe that's that's one thing I, I kind of wanted to, to say. Thank you. Yeah, this it's it's really inspirational. And, of course, I mean, it, it's never too late to learn anything. And your mind pretty much can achieve anything you want as long as you have passion and persistence, in my opinion. So, and with that, thank you. Thank you very much for joining this episode. Algo Tables is a wonderful tool. I think it has a great premise. And I can wait to see how the thing is going to develop and perhaps you know sometime in future or maybe next year we could have a another episode and we'll see the evolution of the tool essentially thank you so much i, I really appreciate everything and and thank you for letting me be a guest on your show i appreciate it a lot um.